If you have a copy of the scriptures this morning, we are in 1 John 4. 1 John chapter 4 is where we're going to read from as we forward in this short series we're doing called Love One Another. And interestingly, the little non-inspired subtitle of my translation actually says, Loving One Another. So let's start in verse 7 of 1 John chapter 4. It says, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us, and his love is brought to full expression in us. And God has given us his spirit as proof that we live in him and he in us. Furthermore, we have seen with our own eyes and now testify that the Father sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. All who confess that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them and they live in God. We're in verse 16. It says, We know how much God loves us and we have put our trust in his love. God is love and all who live in love live in God and God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we're afraid, it is for fear of punishment. And this shows that we've not fully experienced his perfect love. We love each other because he loved us first. If someone says, I love God, but hates a Christian brother or sister, that person is a liar. For if we don't love people, we can see how can we love God whom we cannot see. And he has given us this command. Those who love God must also love their Christian brothers and sisters. This is the word of the Lord. Let's take a moment of silence and just kind of let that passage in, and then I'll share a few words. Amen. Is that that rain that canceled our event today? Do you hear that? Or is it just the heating system behind me that I hear water rushing through? Is it the heater? Um, So it's not quite raining yet. I hate that we didn't get to do that today, but our family care team is continuing to look at how we can find this time to be together and to spend some time together outside. Um, So they'll let us know more about that. 
First John does this really interesting job on building what we find in the Gospel of John. And even though both named John, seemingly written by different people, so probably not the same person who wrote each of them, but First John is building on the foundation that John's Gospel has put together as it continues to look at this intertwined commandment that Jesus has given us. Love God with... I want to write and there, but we talked about how and can be this word that makes it sound like separate things. It's love God with love others. They belong together. They're intertwined. They always are connected. In these 15 verses, the word love is there 27 times. The writer of this letter wants to make sure that the readers, those original readers and us today, get the point. So over and over again, it repeats it. What's the point? Love. We got it, right? The point is love. 27 times over and over again, making sure that we got it. The same love that the gospel of John talked about, this idea that love is the defining mark of us as the people of Jesus, us as Christ followers, us as the church, that it is love that defines who we are and that shows the world who we are. But he goes on to build on that and uses that as a foundation and adds even more. And I I say he, we obviously don't know who wrote this letter specifically, but um, John is the name, so we assume that's what was there. But it, it goes on to build on that and says that not only is our love foundational, is our love important, is our love the sign of who we are, but that our love communicates who God is to the world. The passage reminds us of this origin of love, this this founding of love, where love has come from and the ultimate expression of that love that came through the reality that God chose to come and dwell among us in the form of Jesus, God himself. He was born and he lived, was crucified and he rose from the grave in order to prove to us God's deep and overwhelming and healing love for us. Jesus came so that we might receive rescue and salvation from the ramifications of our own sin. This idea of love that's seen and then love that is received and then love that is shown in us, that is expressed in who we are, that is lived out, exhibited in who we are as a people, that we live out what has been given to us, that the overwhelming love that God shows towards us becomes an overwhelming love that we show towards other people. And repeatedly throughout this little section, we find this epistle building on the gospel, leaning back and forth on one another. So in John chapter 1, verse 18, it says, No one has ever seen God, but the unique one, who is himself God, is near to the Father's heart. He has revealed God to us. And you see there's little asterisks there. I usually take the little asterisks out, but there's an important footnote here that we need to see. In this footnote, it reads, some manuscripts read, but the one and only Son. So in the differentiation in those manuscripts, it wants to make sure that we don't miss that John 1, the gospel, gospel John chapter 1, is talking about Jesus and what Jesus has done and the idea that Jesus shows the image of who God is. No one had seen God personally. God had not been seen face to face, but through the love of Jesus that people had had the opportunity to experience, to see who God was. And then John continues to tell the story of the gospel, continues to tell the story of Jesus 
with love as the central theme that is there. So we know that once again in John chapter 3, love shows up, right? For God so loved the world over and over again, love continues to be this theme that pops up in the gospel of John. So then 1 John, again, not the same person. 1 John, the epistle, builds on what the gospel has said, but takes this and stretches it even further. So it says, the world sees who God is through Jesus, through the love that Jesus gave, but the epistle believes that there's more to it than that. So in verse four, chapter 4, which we read in verse 12, it says, no one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us, and his love is brought to full expression in us. Did you catch it? We see Jesus. Love of Jesus shows us who God is. But what the epistle stretches even further is says that it's not only God, as the gospel says, it's not only Jesus that shows who God is, but the epistle stretches it further and says the church shows who God is. The opportunity to see God comes through the way we, as the church, live love. The world comes to know who God is because they see the image of God in us. And 1 John 4 says that that image, that defining mark, just like the gospel said, should be love. So, What do we think about the image we paint of who God is for the world? It's not always pretty, is it? I mean, if we're real honest. Sometimes we do a really great job, but sometimes we don't do quite so well. In N.T. Wright's commentary on this passage, he talks about a conversation he was having with another man, and this other man said that he believed that danger signs should be posted outside every church so that people are aware when they come in, and this is what it says, a warning or warning people to expect nasty, gossipy, snide conversation and behavior if they came in. And I read that and I thought, wow, how sad that someone would say that. And then I thought for a moment longer and I thought, wow, how much more sad that it's true too often Pete Scazzaro, in the way that he writes about the church, and we've looked at a lot of his stuff, the emotionally healthy stuff. In Emotionally Healthy Church, he says, the sad truth is that too little difference exists in terms of emotional and relational maturity between God's people inside the church and those outside who claim no relationship to Jesus. An interesting reality that we have to grasp in what First John and what the epistle John says is not that people see who God is because we show love to one another, but actually that people see who God is because we are the church. And whatever we show is what they see of who God is. So the call of 1 John is that what we are committed to showing is that God is love and that we do that through loving one another. Jesus has called us to more than looking no different than the world that surrounds us. The passage has called us to more than continuing to look like the world that surrounds us, that we be a people defined by love, that the image that they see of God is vastly different from the image that they see of people of culture and those who do not know God.
And this passage reminds us of what it is that, that instigates or, or spurs on this new kind of love that is in us and that comes from us. In verse 16, it says, we know how much God loves us and we put our trust in his love. God is love and all who live in love live in God and God lives in them. You notice that re- repetition of the word lives in. Those who live in God and um, so, sorry, live in love, live in God, God lives in them. This word live in is, is the word abide. It means to dwell or to remain or to make one's home. And as the church here in the epistle and throughout the scriptures, we're reminded that our home is in God and in God's love. That if we dwell in the love of God and the love of God dwells in us, if it lives in us, if it finds home in us, then it begins to overflow out of us. Our deep love for God and God's deep love for us that we're living in the midst of begins to overflow out of us. And it's the sign and the symbol that all of the world sees of who God is and of what God is doing N.T. Wright, once again, he says, it's a mutual indwelling, we in God and God in us. And yet the reality is we can come together and we can talk about this and what this looks like, but this kind of love is not a kind of love that we simply strive for, a kind of love that we simply set as a priority on our to-do list. Well, if I'll, I'll just do a better job loving, I can do it this way or I can do it that way. It's, it's not that simple. We can't just decide that we will do this and that we will fall into this. Instead, we have to grasp that living this unimaginable love that comes from Jesus can only happen if you and I experience the transforming love of the Holy Spirit in new and overwhelming ways. That through our dwelling in the presence of Savior, the Holy Spirit begins to do the work of transformation, of change in us, of revealing to us what it means to be deeply loved. No matter what we've done or seen or been through, no matter how lovable or unlovable we think we are, that this love of the Holy Spirit overwhelms us and then overflows out of us. We're back to this this two-in-one command, love others, love God, always intertwined together. We can't just decide, I'm going to love better. But the Holy Spirit has to do that work of showing that love by our being willing to be present with Jesus. Dwell in love, dwell in God. It starts with this intentional commitment to being in the presence of Jesus. And then transformed people, the church, live this kind of new love towards others. This passage is particularly interesting because the intentional focus here is how we do as the church at loving one another, loving the church, not to the exclusion of loving other people. As a matter of fact, next week we'll talk about that, about what it means to love neighbor. This isn't excluding others, but it's saying that we as the church have to love the church well. We have to have this this church love for one another. We have to be the kind of people that care for each other inside the church. And there are a multitude of beautiful ways in which Valley has been committed to that. Our family care team has been an important piece of that. The ways in which we have served one another and and stood beside one another in times of grief or in times of, of, of joy. Beautiful expressions of what it means to love one another. But we need to continue to reach deeper and grab a hold 
look more and more as we think about what it means to care for one another. One of the most important pieces of what that looks like is that as we care for one another, it means that we want another's good as much or even more than we want what's good for us. Does that make sense? And can you recognize how it's drastically different than what we see in the culture? Drastically different than what we see in our world, on our news, on our commercials, in our television shows. Culture reminds us over and over again that the most important thing in the culture is me. Nothing matters more than me. My desires matter most. My preferences are priority. And we end up seeing that as we think that way, because those of us inside the church, we're not immune to what's going on, which is why the call exists for us to be transformed by the Spirit, to do something different. But when we leak into that same thing, and when we see that in our culture, we see that all of our life, marriage, raising children, going to church, our job, community involvement, our friendships, we begin to think about them in a way that they all exist for my benefit. And I'm only going to participate in them when they bring noticeable benefit to me. And if they don't, or if something else can do it better, another spouse, another church, a different job, then we just quit or we leave. We walk away We stomp our feet and demand that things be changed in order to meet my needs, no matter what is good for anyone else. I keep reading more and more about this thing that I don't even understand, which is becoming more and more common in our world, is apparently this idea of cancel culture. And it's this. It's the idea that everything exists for my benefit, and if it's not benefiting me, then I just quit. I'm just out. I'm just done. I'll just walk away whether it's from a relationship or from a responsibility or from a job or from a family, whatever that is, I'll just be done. But 1 John reminds us, and Jesus spoke to us, and the scriptures tell us over and over again that that's not what transformed church love looks like. That's not the way that we love one another inside the church. That's not the way that the church is called to live this kind of godly love. The love that we are called to express as people in the church is absolutely countercultural. It looks crazy to the world that surrounds us because one of the great things that it does is it puts the needs of others above my own, the desires of others above my own. Now, again, we have to be cautious, and every time I, I get up here and I have about 20 minutes to speak, there's so many things that I can't say, like this doesn't mean we have no limits in our life. This doesn't mean that we completely remove those, but it does mean that we commit ourselves to figuring out how we love others well. Another piece of what it means for us to care for others well means that we seek to understand other people and to be understood by them. Understanding comes from a listening, listening really well, hearing what it is that other people have to say, asking of them their opinions. What is it you think? How is it that you view this? Valuing the desires of others as much or more than our own. 
seeking to deeply understand what it is that they're saying. What, what, what is it that you want? Why is it that you want it this way? How do I show you love in pursuing this thing that you desire? Understanding where they're coming from, but then also trying to be understood ourselves as we communicate what it is that's going on. And this is not about an equality thing. You got your turn to speak your opinion. Now it's my turn to speak my opinion. That's back on selfish stuff. It's not fair. Fair is not the point. Love is the point. So as we seek to be understood, we speak honestly, truthfully, kindly to one another. It's not about equality. It's about love. It's about honesty. It's about integrity. It's about communicating what it is that we think and we want because we trust one another. Again, in Scazzaro's work, in his Emotionally Healthy Relationships work, which some of us did a small group on that a couple years ago, um, he talked about the idea of expectations and how vital appropriate expectations are to relationships. Group relationships, church relationships, marriage relationships, and that appropriate expectations, they teach, do four things for sure, or are four things for sure. They're expectations that are known, expectations that are realistic, expectations that are spoken, and expectations that are agreed upon. How often is church discord based on poor assumptions about faulty expectations? About starting at the place of believing that everyone wants what I want, even though all of culture tells us nobody wants what I want. They want what they want. And once in a while, what I want and what they want tends to overlap. So we communicate our expectations. We state them. We recognize when they're realistic and when they're not. And when they're not, we go, wait a minute, I can't expect that of you. We agree upon what they will look like and how we will meet them. So as the church, as people who love well, as people who show Jesus well, it means that we realign our expectations by speaking them, by agreeing on how or when or if they'll even be met, by being honest with one another. By being able to trust one another in what we say and what we do, by caring for one another and their wants and their needs and their desires. Valley, this will be so vital for us in the days ahead. That we be a people who understand our expectations together, who communicate well together because we deeply love one another. And it can be hard and scary, right? To be this honest, to say what it is that we hope for, to be willing to sacrifice what I desire in order to pursue what Alvin desires or Jackie desires, to put me on hold because what someone else wants is more important to me. And yet the scriptures tell us that as the church, we are exactly the kind of people that can do this because we've understood, we've experienced this transforming love of Jesus through the work and the power of the Holy Spirit. So we don't have to be afraid because we love each other. We don't have to hide our thoughts and our opinions because we love each other. We don't bite other people's heads off when we disagree or say something that was hard because we love each other. We don't talk behind each other's backs because we love each other. 
We don't have to be mean. We don't even have to receive other people being mean to us because neither of those are loving. And we love each other because we're able to flip the script and to say, no, we don't, we don't have to live the way the culture lives. We can be a people who deeply love one another, who care about others more than ourselves. Until 1 John chapter 4 says, sorry, it says, such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we're afraid, it's for fear of punishment. And this shows that we've not fully experienced his perfect love. We love each other because he first loved us. So Valley, as we walk into the future, we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be afraid of the unknown. We don't have to be afraid of each other. We don't have to be afraid of being disappointed. We can march in without fear because we, as a people, are committed to loving one another because the Holy Spirit has done the work of transformation in us. We've experienced the transforming love of Jesus. And as we walk forward, God walks with us so we don't have to be afraid. Man, I'm over where I expected to be. Sorry. As I was looking back through this, I was thinking of a couple things uh, yesterday and last night about, about how we try and do things different and how it's beyond this idealistic hope that everything will just be okay. This week, as we did our Wednesday night prayer gathering, which if you've not been a part of that, I really want to encourage you to consider doing it. Wednesday nights at 7, we come together, we pray for the church, we pray for one another's needs. It's a beautiful way to watch the church care for one another. But someone who was there made the comment that, that, that we would pray that there would not be craziness in response to or connected with the coming election. And I interjected with some words that might have sounded a little disappointing, but I would personally call them a little more realistic. There will be craziness. People will go crazy and the responses will be crazy. But we don't have to participate as the church. So we can pray that the culture will look different, but what is, is more possible and more realistic is that we're able to go, I am going to be different because I've experienced the overwhelming and transforming love of Jesus. So in the craziness that's going on in the political scene and on the news, I refuse to participate. Instead, I'm going to love well. I'm going to love people in my church who think differently than I do, people in my church who voted differently than I did, people in my church who have different political persuasions or understandings than I do. I'm going to deeply love them because their opinion matters. Their views matter because I love them. Callie and I were having a conversation yesterday. Moving is hard. Moving to the other side of the world, which includes selling all of your possessions, is really hard. And believe it or not, we don't always agree on the process by which we're going to do those kinds of things. And she tell this story, but yesterday, which is usually a really bad idea, but I decided I would do it anyway. And yesterday we were having a conversation, and, um, and, and again, the comment was made, let's don't fight while we do this. And I responded with saying, we're, we're probably going to. Like, we're probably just going to because we're different people who do things differently, who think about things differently. But how can we fight like people who deeply love one another? Who understand that we disagree sometimes, that we don't think about things the same way, that we look at things differently. It doesn't mean we never fight. 
It means we fight as a people who deeply love one another. Who understand that we're trying and doing our best. Who trust each other. So we fight sometimes. Believe it or not. But man, I hope we fight well. Like people who deeply love each other and have deeply experienced the love of Jesus. And that it transforms our ability to have conversations and to love in the midst of a fight and to forgive really well when we do poorly. You see, it's not this pie in the sky, idealistic, we're always going to do it perfectly type thing, but it's about always being committed to being transformed by the work of the Holy Spirit. Understanding love comes first. So how do we do that well? That's the kind of people we want to be in the days ahead. That's the kind of people we want to be in the midst of a pandemic and an election and all kinds of crazy life that surrounds us. People who love incredibly well because we've been transformed by the work of the Holy Spirit and the love of Jesus. Because friends, our world sees what God looks like by looking at those of us who gather together and call ourselves the church. Good, bad, like it or not. Loving or unloving. What they know of God, they know because you showed them this is what God looks like. They know because I showed them this is what Jesus looks like. Pray with me, would you? Jesus, help us be a people who love well. Love boldly. A people who love fear. Not simply because we've decided to do so but because we have experienced and been transformed by the love of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. God, we pray that the image of God that Valley puts in front of the world is a beautiful image because we more and more every day are becoming a people who love each other well. Be glorified in us and in this work. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.